Hi there, welcome to the Causeway Coast Vineyard podcast. We are a church who are passionate about seeing the transformation of individuals and institutions in our city through the generations to see all things new in our community. We hope you enjoy this message. Listen, so what we're going to do right now is we're going to invite our friend Jamie. He's going to come and speak to us. Normally, we give you a chance to turn and say hello to people. Uh, you get to do that at the end because Jamie's got so much he needs to share that we would just love to give you as much opportunity to hear that. If you don't know uh, Jamie, uh, well, Jamie and Linda, we've been talking about. Linda, unfortunately, wasn't able to make it over this weekend. They lead uh, Glasgow Vineyard and uh, there's just, again, running a church. There's always stuff that comes up and unfortunately, Linda just wasn't able um, to make it over. But if you don't know these guys, these these uh, guys, not only did they lead Glasgow Vineyard, but Glasgow Vineyard was the church and they were the leaders uh, that sent Alan, Catherine, Scott uh, here, goodness, maybe 25 years ago now uh, to plant Causeway Coast Vineyard Church. Um, and if it hadn't have been for Jamie and Linda and their wisdom and their leadership uh, and, and what they had dreamed over those guys and, and what was being released here, the truth is we wouldn't be sitting here uh, this morning. So again, you can either thank them or shout at them, whatever way uh, that, that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, but Jamie, I know for me, and, and early on, uh, and I started following Jesus, and I, and I spoke about this last week, that I've been trying to live this idea of the kingdom uh, in, in my life for, for a long time now. And it was on a team very early on in my journey, and also my time in Dundee, that I got to meet Jamie and Linda and some of the team there. And they've been a significant part uh, just of, of my journey and my heritage and that. And so I know you're going to be blessed this morning with Jamie. He's a man that lives with integrity. Um, he's a man, what he says on this stage, he lives in his own life. This isn't theory that he's going to teach this morning. This is stuff that he's, he's learned, that he's wrestling with, that he's exploring and growing. Um, and, and so what I would love you to do, uh, just as Jamie comes, could we stand to our feet and just honor uh, Jamie Waters as he comes to speak this morning? Why don't you come, Jamie? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Amen. Add up. <laughs> please, please, please be seated. It is an absolute honor and privilege to be here. Linda sends her love. I hope you get to meet her the next time we're, we're over here. I thought I'd begin by just sharing a little bit about my, my own story. I was raised non-Christian. I didn't come to faith until the age of 23. And it was really a, a, a poignant moment in my life because I, I'd, you know, I'd never failed at anything up to I was about 21 years of age. And my mom took drastically ill. She was taken into Southern General Neurological uh, Hospital. She had a, a virus, a kind of meningitis virus, and it was looking bad. The consultant said, look, we don't think she's going to make it through the night. And so my brother and my father and I were summoned up to the hospital to say goodbye to her, basically. And it was there that I said what I now call my first prayer. Remember, I was not raised religious, and I prayed, if there's anything out there that's greater than me, then give me back my mum, and I'll find out about you. And that began an awakening, you know, in me, just that I would actually do that, that prayer. Well, within an hour, my mum was out of her coma. She was sitting up in bed, and she wanted to go home. Consultant came back in. To, he didn't know what was actually happening. But it was a realization that there was more to this world than what I could discern through my five senses. A year later, I find myself in a minister's office in his vestry, 
uh, because we wanted to get married, my wife, uh, Linda and I, and he was explaining the gospel to me. And he said to me, he quoted John 3.16, he said, for God so loved you, Jamie, that he sent his only, one and only son to die in your place and that you could receive forgiveness and you could be reconciled and have a relationship with God. And I went, no way. You mean he done healed my mom and I get that as well? And he went, yeah. And he said, there's more. And I went, wow. And that began my journey of more. And when I realized what God had actually done for me, because I grew up as a, I was a tow rag growing up. So I, I honestly, I'd be in the rugby club, I'd be with my mates. My mates, once they started drinking, would always get in the fights. And I'd go to rescue them and they'd all run away and I'd be the, the one that'd be left there scrapping. And when Jesus fought for me, and when Jesus died for me, I thought, he did that for me, how can I not give my life for him and follow him? And that began my journey of more. And we then went into pastoral ministry and it was a beautiful young couple, Alan and Catherine Scott, and we planted them over here. And honest, it felt like giving my right arm and my right leg away. But you know what? It was an investment because it was more. And as I look at you today, you are the more. I remember being in Port Rush. We'd done a, a weekend of evangelism here with Alan and Catherine, and uh, we, I think it was about a, a dozen of us, and then we had a meeting in Port Rush in the evening, and uh, I think it was about 18 to 20 people there, and I just had this open vision of you, hundreds and hundreds of people being part of the Causeway Coast Vineyard, and it's a beautiful thing to watch through the years, this family grow and impact beyond the shores of Ireland, impacting, you know, the mainland UK and further afield, going from a small group to a family that I see before me, you know, doing servant evangelism, and now you find that you've got Hots and Esom and all these other ministries that you are birthing and developing and passing on the more to others. Remember, any of you guys involved in the early days when we used to do car washing free? you know, at that petrol station. Yeah, and now looking at all the compassion ministries that you're actually doing, absolutely amazing. It's almost like you went from an acorn to a massive oak tree. Now, watching this family grow through the favor of the Lord and the amazing dedication of your leaders here has produced an appetite in other churches to model what you're doing. And do you know what? We need churches like you all over this nation because you were birthed and born and created and developed for a time such as this. Because as a nation, we are facing some increasingly challenging times. There's inflation crisis, there is an energy crisis, there is an NHS crisis, there's an identity crisis, and there's a war going on in Europe just now that's affecting, and I could go on and go on and on. But as I pray about all these things, I realize that what we need to address is not necessarily the symptoms but what we need to address is the root causes of these things that we face. And I believe that God's people have a really big, amazing part to play in bringing solutions to the root causes of the things that we're facing. So let me quote you from the Bible, and we'll put the scriptures up on the, uh, the board here just now from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God redeemed you, God redeemed me to make a difference in this world. Way, way bigger than any of us can conceive, and that's exciting. 
See, I believe God wants to raise up dreamers who realize the dreams of their life by unleashing kingdom creativity in all of our communities as far and as wide as we are actually stretched out. And he wants us to partner with them in it. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which we'll put on the screen, says this. And can we say this together? Can you guys do the response thing with me? Okay, let's say it. One, two, three. God works together with those who love him to release what is good. Now, to make this idea more specific, we're going to say it as a declaration of truth, okay? So I'm going to do my bit, and then you do your bit, which is on the screen. So we know that in politics, God works This side's far better, okay? Okay, guys, you need to get the volume up, okay? Let's try it. We know that in medicine, God works together with those who love him to release what's good. Guys, they're beating you, okay? So we know that in education solutions, God works together with those who love him to release what's good. And we know that in wealth creation, Now, here's my question. Do we believe it? Amen. Because heaven's solutions are actually waiting for God's people to partner with him to release God's abundance here on earth, here in Korean and beyond. You know, over this last year, it's been so exciting for me to actually hear the good news stories that is happening within this community. You are a people who are dreaming with God, taking risks with God, and living out this kingdom-focused life, and your fame is spreading. Together you're seeing God's kingdom breaking right out across your communities with healings, salvations, you know, powerful stories of, you know, changed lives and relationships. As good as that is, there's still more. Are you up for the more? Are you ready for the more? Amen. As believers, we are called, all called to seek the more of the kingdom of God. Now, I encountered the Holy Spirit in a really, really personal way. I mean, I'd seen what had happened to my mom, that healing, and that was great. And then I heard the gospel message, and that caught my heart. But I experienced him, actually, you know, personally, when I sang a song at a conference called More Love, More Power, and More of You in My Life. And it's become an anthem and a compass for my soul. Because the challenges that we all face can be overcome by God's people just through these three simple pursuits, more of his love, more of his power, and more of him in our lives. And so today, I want to explore what more can actually look like in our lives. So what does it actually require from us to experience more of God's kingdom? And why is that so important? Well, the first thing that I'd like to say to you is that we all have a choice in this to either pursue a more lifestyle or to settle for less than God's best intentions for us. And that actually rests on the decisions that we make. The decisions that we make today determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. Let me say that again. The decisions that we make today determines the stories that we tell tomorrow. Now, this is so important because, you know, our decisions matter so much that, in fact, Do you know, who you are today sometimes is because of the decisions that you made yesterday or years ago, who you will become and what you will actually do and what you'll be able to actually accomplish in the future will mostly be as a direct result of the decisions that you make today. But let's be honest, how many of us are really, well, let me put it this way, it might be better to say it this way, not all of us are great decision makers, are we? Any procrastinators out there? 
a few of us. We try, don't we? We try. Or have any of you made uh, decisions based on a temporary emotion? Don't put your hand up. Okay. Maybe you've, you know, lost your temper and, you know, you said something that you shouldn't have, you know, for that. See, a lot of the times that we make decisions, we regret. Now, I don't know what that might be for you. It could be, you know, I shouldn't have dated him or I shouldn't have dated her. It could have been that big purchase that you made that you realize that you don't actually really need. It could be all sorts of things. I mean, some of you right now, you've got significant decisions to make, you know, about what you're going to do in the future quite, you know, soon. So it is. I mean, it could be, do I stick with this job or do I apply for another one? Do we have another child or do we stick with what we have? Do you know, this is my first day in Vineyard. Do I stick and get involved in this church and the mission of this church and join some of these amazing groups that were up, you know, on the screen there? Or do I find another church? You see, you have decisions to make. My encouragement to you is, if you want to make life-giving decisions, then seek divine direction. Now, I might add that it is true that every generation and every generation, that the older that we get, if we're not plugged into God's presence and are not regularly actually encountering his presence, hearing his voice, well, we start to lose courage. And more specifically, the courage to act upon what he actually calls us to do. And we settle for what is kind of safe and sometimes what we can control. And when that happens, the tendency is we look to other sources for guidance. We normally default to look into the rules. What are the rules? But when we look to rules, what you do is you miss out on one of the major key components of divine direction, and it's this whole thing called more love. So let me illustrate this to you from Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, where it says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, God is speaking to Moses here, and he's given him instructions to speak to the entire nation of Israel. Now, notice that the Lord is just calling them into the priesthood ministry the same way as he calls you and me into the priesthood ministry today. Every single one of us are part of a royal priesthood. So picture this. He extends himself to all the nations of the world, but you know what? All the nations of the world rejected them. And I'll show you that from Scripture just now. If you look at chapter 20, verse 18, it says this. Now, all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled, and they stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we'll hear. But let not God speak to us, lest we die. Now, in that moment, I believe Israel chose rules instead of relationship with God. In other words, you know, you, you, Moses, you tell us what he's saying. You know, we don't want to hear it firsthand for ourselves. Give us the preset boundaries that we can live by. Tell us the do's and tell us the don'ts because we prefer that, because we don't want to hear the voice of God for ourselves. And the Bible tells us that God is love. He's love and he's in love with his people and he, his people are actually supposed to mirror God's love as he speaks to us and we speak to others the love of God in our communities. But here's a missing key component. Love is dependent on that relationship that the Israelites didn't want. You know, I've, uh, I've known my wife since I was five. The other congregation said, aw. <laughs> And we started dating when we were 16, and we get engaged when we were 21, and we get married when we were 23, and we've been married for 37 years. Now, that relationship, that love that we have, because I love my wife more today than I did when I stood at the altar. 
But that love would never have grown and taken root and done life if we didn't develop that relationship as an ongoing you know, thing with us. And it's the same with God. Likewise, more love comes out of a personal relationship with Him. The Lord calls the entire nation to the love God, love people ministry. But Israel rejected it at this point because they rejected the personal relationship with the Lord where they could hear firsthand for themselves. Instead, they want a mediator. They wanted someone to talk to God for them and just give us the rules. And that actually happens fairly often in churches today in the lives of believers. It's just easier to have a list of do's and don'ts, you know, at times. But ultimately, what that does is it pushes God away and it keeps Him, you know, at a distance, at arm's length, and it makes us, you know, at times compare and we can often feel hard done by by that. So let me give you an illustration. Do you know, God tells one family in my church, you know, you've not to have a TV. So they switch the TV off. Yet another family who are the next door neighbors have got five TVs. Some would say that's not fair. We'd rather have a rule that says yes to TV or no to TV because we think that would be fairer if we have rules. But God says, no, the key to life is relationship and me having that ongoing personal relationship with you. So maybe one person has told, you know, at this season of your life, give everything away, give your finances to these good causes. And yet another person maybe tells them to open up another bank account. It's hearing the voice of God for ourselves that leads to divine direction that's actually applicable to your situation. So why does he do that? Because this is where he teaches us to learn. Do you know what Jesus actually learned was, I can only do what I see my Father doing, and I can only say what I hear my Father saying. And the whole point is, is that the Holy Spirit knows the heart of the individual that he's ministering to. He personalizes things for you individually. He knew enough to know that the button to push to make that demand that leads them into life, where to lead the person in thought, you know, in commitment, and overcome whatever it is that holds them back in life. So for example, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were a very wealthy household, and yet they weren't required to sell all the possessions and give it away to the poor. Yet the rich young ruler, well, for him to come into salvation, he needed to sell all that he had and give it to the poor. Now, it's not that it's a double standard. Please hear this. It's actually the same standard. He's dealing personally with whatever controls and impacts the heart of an individual and holds them back from leaning into the fullness of life. And Jesus always targets that. He rebukes one person and then to another, for instance, a woman caught in adultery. Well, he says simply, do you know, go and sin no more. And so his way of bringing people into life and therefore into their destinies changes depending on their circumstances. But rules, well, they're inflexible. Now, please hear this. I believe the Bible is a foundational Haynes book of manual for life, if you like. There are rules in it that we need to live by, and God will not contradict his word. He will never do that. So that's not what I'm talking about here. See, I'm all for obeying what's in the Bible. But... What I want you to notice is how Jesus moves so uniquely and so differently at times in people's lives to bring about change whilst not contradicting his word. So let's now look at more power. Now, as a church, we've seen many people come to faith because of a demonstration of power in their life. But I want to highlight two other ways that sometimes we, they go unnoticed that can change someone's forever, someone's destiny. Now, the first one's found in Luke chapter 5. 
And in Luke chapter five, you find Jesus in a situation where he's been crowded. So he borrows a boat and he, you know, from some fishermen who are nearby and he, they set him out into the water and he preaches a message to them. And we'll pick it up at verse four. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down, what does it say? The net. Side note. Notice that Jesus said nets, plural. But Simon only let down a singular note. Why is that in the Bible? Anyway, when he did... Verse 6 and 7 tell us they catch so many fish that the boat's sinking, they actually have to get other boats to come and help them. Peter then drops to his knees and says to Jesus, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Now here's the fascinating thing. Peter's in confession, Peter's in repentance, and Jesus hasn't even preached a sermon to him. What he has done is he has displayed power. And the interesting thing about the power of God is it automatically draws a line in the sand. Let me illustrate this. We as a church feed people through our storehouse. We share our compassion and love on people and we thrive in helping people. And do you know what? No one's ever, ever been offended by that. Power though draws a line in the sand and it causes people to decide either for, but it also causes some people to decide against. You find that at the healing of the pool of Bethesda and also the pool of Siloam. Remember, it was the Jewish leaders, you know, and the Pharisees that got really upset because power was displayed and upset those guys at the time. I face more opposition from religious people who've seen power displayed through the ministry of our church than at any other time. I mean, some have left our church because of it. Why? Because it's messy because you can't always control the Holy Spirit. So it is, he will not be feathered or boxed in in any shape or form. And many people, they avoid the demonstration of the power of a lifestyle of power for that reason, because they're frightened it will bring division. Peter drops to his knees and says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. In other words, a miracle brought him unto repentance through this demonstration of power. Something so captures his heart that he was about to leave this present lifestyle behind to follow Jesus. Why? Because of a miracle. And secondly, this is a unique story because Peter's a fisherman. And this story of supernatural supply, this is a, a story of God's goodness. Hosea chapter three, verse five, and I, I've been mining this scripture for a while now. It says, in the last days, people will fear God because of his goodness. Wow. Can you imagine the potential that that scripture has? So you've got a friend and you, they're not a Christian and you're applying for a job and you say, you know what, I'm asking God to give me this job. You know, and they're like, really? Yeah, I'm praying and asking God to give me this job. And then you get the job and you go to your friend, hey, I got the job. And your friend goes, that's good. Wow, that's good. What would it be like if that was your friend's reaction? that in the last days people will fear God because of his goodness. How much goodness would he need to pour out of you, forget just getting a job, for your friends to be going, wow, there's something else here. Guys, that is available and that is coming as we press in. 
What happened to Peter? Well, Jesus gave abundant supply and Peter drops to his knees. I'd like to suggest to you that in your lifetime, in my lifetime, we are going to see various displays of God's love, God's power, God's goodness in ways that have never, ever been conceived or seen before. That it's going to cause people to tremble. Why? Because we serve a more God. The fear of God done right brings people to God. It doesn't drive them away. Now, the next verse in that scripture, I think, is prophetic because it says in verse 10, from now on you will be catching men. He's talking about evangelism. He's talking about salvations. And again, another side note here. When Jesus prophesied the evangelistic anointing over the church, which Peter represents, remember, I will build my church on this guy. He used a net that was about to sink a boat as the standard, as the model, as the norm. So as we think about reaching more people, we have to use this more example used and anticipate that this isn't going to be what God's doing, a trickle of a few salvations here and then, but many will be saved. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing that, you know, you're out there throwing your net out in here and you have to phone the church down the road here and the church down the road there and say, going to help us because we just cannot contain what the blessing that God is doing in our community. I think that's possible. Can I get an Amen. You're still there. Do you believe this? Me too. Me too. Expect a massive conversion of people, guys, as we allow God to do more through us. This is why we should ask for more power, because here we have a story of Peter, a miraculous provision that leads to a deep, profound repentance, and it was the beginning of his journey of more. The second story I want to look at actually has to do with honor. It's in Luke chapter 19. Jesus is one of those crowds again. Everybody's pressing in. And this short guy, this short guy, you know, wants to see Jesus. He's on the fringe of the crowd. So he runs ahead. He climbs a tree to see because he's anticipating that Jesus is actually going to walk down that road and pass him by. And as he climbs the tree, Jesus spots him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for lunch today. I mean, what is this? I mean, this is a profound act of honor because everybody wants Jesus at their house and Zacchaeus is the biggest sinner in town. I mean, this guy's a tax collector. He works for the occupying army's government, taxing his own people more than what he should so that he can get wealthy from it. He's crooked and he's corrupt. He's part of a group so bad they had their own category way, way below sinners. So when Jesus said, I'm coming to your house, he said something that everyone in that crowd wished that he'd said to them. Interestingly, and again, Jesus didn't preach a sermon here. He didn't accuse, you know, Zacchaeus of anything, and yet Zacchaeus repents. Jesus didn't get in his face and say, you know what, I know you're a thief. I know you're the most corrupt guy, you know, in this area. I know what you've stolen. He didn't do any of that at all. He just went to his house for a meal. And the power of honor, something we need to regain which is the goodness of God once again displayed through Jesus, was so overwhelming that Zacchaeus that day, you know, said this. He said, you know what? If I've stolen from, you know, anyone, I'm going to give them four times back that which I've stolen. I'm going to give half of all my goods, you know, to the poor. What's happening? This is repentance. He's making restitution, you know, and there wasn't a sermon and there wasn't an accusation. What was there? There was the kindness of God. There was the power of God that was displayed through honor. This is such an important part of the gospel, guys, that we need to re-engage with, and I know many of you are doing this, because I believe one of the themes we're going to see as we reach our cities is going to be the ongoing revelation of the goodness of God, you know, throughout our city. 
And it's not goodness without judgment or maybe even goodness without difficulty. It's goodness in the midst of all these things. And for you and for me to be anchored, do you know, in that cornerstone of thought, in that cornerstone of theology, well, it puts us into a place not only to listen from the Holy Spirit, but it teaches us how to serve someone, how to talk to this one and minister to that one, how to receive divine direction for our lives and in our ministries. Do you know, we had a, a guy that phoned me and he was moving up to Glasgow and he said, uh, I heard, you know, you, this church is into spiritual things. He said, I'm into Buddhism. I'm kind of exploring faith. So I'm exploring spirituality. Is there anything in this Christianity thing? I said, yeah, why don't we meet for a coffee and we'll have a chat? So I met for a coffee. I shared my testimony, my story, took him through some precepts in the Bible. You invited him to an alpha and he came along to it. He then joined a small group, and uh, he's on this journey, you know, towards faith. Hadn't given his life to the Lord yet. Uh, and online, he met a girl from Canada, and the girl came over, and they moved in together, and they were, you know, uh, living together. And I got a phone call from him, you know, one day, uh, wanting to meet with me. And uh, so we met, and uh, he said, look, something profound happened in the workplace. And I said, yeah, tell me about it. He said, well, the guys in the work asked me, what are you doing this Sunday? And he said, I'm going to church. And my friends went, you're not one of those Christians, are you? And he said, I stopped and I went, a minute. I love this guy, Jesus, Jamie keeps talking about. I go and do community with these people. I help serve in the church. I give 10% of my, oh, I'm a Christian. <laughs> I think I'm a Christian. Jamie, am I a Christian? And then I said, well, I think you're well on the way, <laughs> and I explained some more things to him. And he said, but here's something, Jamie. He said, do you know me and my girlfriend are actually living together? I said, oh, yeah, I know. I heard. And I said to him, what do you think about that? He said, well, I, said, I don't think it's right. He said, but the problem is we've been studying the Bible, and we can't find it in the Bible. Do not sleep with your girlfriend. <laughs> I said, well, why don't you and I do a Bible study and we'll go from Genesis all the way through the Revelations and we'll look at how a Christian should lead their life. And he said, you know what, Jamie? You guys have loved us, you have honored us, and so we're going to stop sleeping together. But would you marry us? Would you marry us? And I had the honor and I had the privilege, you know, of marrying this couple. The alternative could have been the cookie-cutter type Christianity, you know, it's got the same message for every person in every situation. It's why some Christian evangelism boils down to turn from your sins or burn. That would have blown them out of the water. You see, part of this is we've got to trust what God's doing in someone's life. And we've got to give a little bit more grace and a little bit more space to allow him to do his thing. Doesn't mean that we don't confront, we do but we've got to look at the timing and when we confront. And I'd put it to you that sometimes Jesus wants to do things and move in people's lives maybe differently from what we think should happen. Now, if you notice the miracles in the Bible, every single miracle was done different, you know, from the previous one. There was never a duplication. Sometimes people do need to be confronted, but sometimes they just need to be loved and allow the Holy Spirit to do his stuff. But what I think is the most important thing is that we learn to hear the voice of God, i.e. receive that divine direction for the circumstances we're facing. We learn that we're in the more love, more God love people ministry so that we know how to serve people and we learn to walk in more kingdom power, you know, that brings honor and not judgment. So my last foundational point as we come into 
<laughs> some form of landing strip here is in Exodus chapter 33. It says that Moses would enter into the tent of meeting. It says that God would speak to Moses, you know, as a friend speaks to someone face to face. And then it says Moses would leave and Joshua would actually remain. He remained in the presence of the Lord. In other words, this is the more of him in our lives. But So what does that look like? Well, by the time you get to Numbers 13, Moses has led his people, you know, out from captivity. They are on the edge of the promised land. He sends in 12 spies to the promised land. You remember the story, you know, the 12 spies come back, you know, some give good stories, some give bad stories. In fact, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, say, we can do this. Let's go in. We can take this land. God has done so many things. Nothing is impossible with him. But the other 10, well, they come back with bad reports. They go, man, did you see how big those guys were? I mean, they're really strong. And do you know, we'll really get a kick in if we invade there. And they start to spread rumors throughout the whole of Israel, so much so that people lose heart and they disengage. They didn't listen to Caleb and they didn't listen to Joshua. And you've got two people that are going, no, we can do this. And you've got other people saying, no, we can't. And every one of them stops believing in Israel because of those 10. And guess what? God decides to take them home to go and play golf that afternoon, the 10. And then for the rest, if you're, under, if you're over 20, they never even get to enter into the promised land. But because Caleb and Joshua believed they were promised that they would enter into it and they'd bring a whole generation into it. You get two people who practiced the more of you in my life, who dwelt in his presence, sought divine direction, and thought with God, nothing is impossible, and they pursued the more, and they achieved the more. The rest wanted to abide by their own rationale and opted for safety and security, and therefore they missed out on their destiny. They settled for less. And my question is to you today, who do you resemble the most? Do you resemble Joshua and Caleb, amen? Or do you resemble everyone else? Because looking at God's calling in life and the things that he has asked you to do, you will often hear voices telling you, you can't. Guys, the reason I can talk about that so freely is all my life I've wrestled with those voices. I've had authority figures tell me that you cannot plan a church in the West End of Glasgow that goes after young people. Students will come and they're like cats. You just got to stroke them and then they're off. <laughs> In other words, you won't get their tithe. That's what they're saying. But I'm like, I can change a nation with them. If I can input into them for that. You can't do a church that reaches the lost, have got a passion for the arts, etc. You can't, you can't, you can't. And I've had to wrestle with that. And remember at times back to the faith that got me saved and the miracle that put me in that place where I said to him, you did that for me. How can I not follow you? Because that's the God of miracles. That's the God that changed circumstances and situations. And Joshua 14, I love the end of the story. It's 45 years later. All the other generation that, you know, God said wouldn't enter has all died and passed away. And let me read to you from verse 10. It says, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said these 45 years since the Lord spoke this word to Moses. While the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, and now, behold, I am this day 85 years old, yet I am as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and to go out and to come in. 
So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke that day. For you heard then how the Achim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. If the Lord will be with me, I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. And do you know what? He did. Amen, he did. And isn't that just beautiful? Can you picture an 85-year-old guy getting up in the front of the crowd going, hey, might not be as good looking or as, <laughs> as I was 45 years ago, but I'm still as strong today. Why? Because it's not about the flesh. It's about his presence going with us. Do you know, guys, in a world full of crises, non-commitment, disappointments, instability, I get a church full of young people. Do you know the thing they're looking for? They're looking for Christians who are 85 years old, burning hot for God. Burning hot for God. And we owe it to them to model that. We owe it to them to deliver that, to say, guys, this is possible. Let me summarize. The decisions that we make today determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. More love. Well, we are called into the Love God, Love People ministry, every single one of us, from the youngest to the oldest. More power. God wants to demonstrate through us supernaturally his power, but he also wants us to do it with honor. More of him in our lives so that we have this divine perspective of the impossible becoming an everyday reality, and actually nothing is impossible with God. And as I think of my faith when I was 23 years of age, and I think of my faith just now at 59, I ask myself, is my faith on a journey towards Caleb and Joshua, that it grows and it develops more? And it's a question we all need to ask ourselves. And I understand, you know, at times, that can take a knock. Life can throw curveballs at you. Situations can come up. Sometimes it's, you know, patience. These things haven't actually happened yet. But you know what? God wants to do it. Through more love, through more power, and through more of Him in your life. Thank you for joining us for our podcast today. For more information, resources, and opportunities, you can check us out at cosmicoastvineyard.com.